standing for scripture reading. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to our text this morning. It's uh, out of the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 6 through 10, and then chapter 2, verse 16. <clears throat> Galatians 1, 6 through 10, and 2, 16. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, I marvel that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to the gospel we have proclaimed to you, let him be accursed. As I have said before, so again now, I say again now, if any man is proclaiming to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. And then... Chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ, Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, since by works of the law no flesh will be justified. May God bless his word. Please be seated. Would you bow with me as we ask the Lord's blessing on his word? Father, we've come this day in these moments to hear from you. We ask now that you would take the words we've read and we would, you would send them forth in the power of your Holy Spirit to to work, Lord, mighty things, to work eternal things, to work in the hearts of each one here, conforming us more and more to the image of Christ, or granting even life from the dead, as we read in Ephesians, that we were all once dead in our trespasses and sins, but you made us alive together. Oh, Lord, even in these moments, may one be made alive. And so now we pray you would take this and glorify your name in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Everything in the church and everything you could say really in Western culture began to change on October 31st in 1517 in a little town called Wittenberg, Germany. That, that day when Luther posted his 95 theses on the door of the church there really began what we know as the Reformation. And 
And this Sunday is the day closest to that, October 31st, and it's become known as Reformation Sunday. So we remember this great work of God, what he did some 400 years ago. In many ways, the Reformation was the beginning of what you might call the return of Christ. Not that, not that great final bodily return of Jesus into this world to judge the living and the dead and to usher in his kingdom, but the Reformation was in many ways a return of Jesus to his church. The word Reformation is a word that means you're going back to a form of something in order to reshape it according to that form. The, the Reformation wasn't a revolution. It wasn't coming up with something new. It was going back to what was in the scriptures. Back to the Bible, and there the church sought to reform itself according to God's word. Reformers said they would believe in what was called the doctrine of sola scriptura, or that it was the, the Bible alone that ought to shape what we believe and how we live. So there were these two great truths that were recovered in the Reformation. And, and by them, you could say Jesus was recovered. Or Jesus returned to his church. The first was the recovery of the word of God as, the, as we said, the sole final authority for all that we believe and all we must believe about God and about salvation and about the Christian life and about eternal life. The word of God as that sole final authority. Secondly, they recovered the message of the gospel, which was a message of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. How appropriate. We just sang that great hymn, In Christ Alone. All of that was meant to say we are justified by or in Christ alone. Justified by faith alone. That is by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. Our text this morning in Galatians really points us to a need for remembering the truths of the gospel. Sometimes even the need to recover them in our day. Scripture reminds us here that the gospel is easily forgotten. It's easily forgotten. It's the testimony of each of our lives, really, I think, that, and it, the testimony of the church through the ages, and even the church in the New Testament. The churches of Galatia, 
that area of the world where Paul had, had spread the gospel, had now forgotten, lost the gospel. And, and Paul, as he speaks to them, <coughs> excuse me, is amazed. He's marveling. He doesn't understand how this can be. And yet it is. Sometimes the gospel is forgotten in certain people. Sometimes it's forgotten in places, in eras of the church, and sometimes in the church in our day. The gospel had long been forgotten in the church of the 16th century of Luther's day. Oh, Jesus was still spoken of in the church and, and the death of Christ still mentioned in the church, but, but the glory of the gospel had departed. The glory had departed. In the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel 4, the ark had been taken away from Israel, uh, carried off by the Philistines. And this was a judgment, though, of God upon them. The ark representing the very presence of God with his people. And it was gone. And there we read of a young boy being named Ichabod as a sign. The name Ichabod meaning the glory has departed. The ark of God was taken, and, and so then the glory gone. In the 16th century, there was a great deal of activity. There was a lot of show. There was a lot of pomp and ritual. There were robes. There were titles, grand cathedrals. But, but Christ had departed the church. It, it was sort of like a being at a party, perhaps, where uh, it's a birthday party, and you're there, and the one for whom uh, you're celebrating the party leaves, but nobody notices. You just continue on. That's the church in the 16th century. It had become, in many ways, a party without Christ, and, and in many ways, they were fine with that. Christ had left the church. And it was Luther, and then it, were, it was some before Luther, in Luther uh, like John Huss, Wycliffe, men like that who, who also recognized something was missing. Not just something was missing in the church, but someone was missing. It was not... It was not just that there were a certain set of truths that were being neglected. But it was the very Son of God who was forgotten. Or as we see how Paul puts it, deserted. You have deserted him in verse 6 of chapter 1 of Galatians. 
This was Luther's great discovery as he saw that in the message of the church of his day, there was a lot of talk about Christ, but there was no Jesus there. This day, this Reformation Sunday, is a Sunday that we want to remember that great moment when, in many ways, Jesus returned to his church. And, and you, could, you could think of it in the terms of he rode into the church on the white horse of justification by faith alone. The Reformation was a recovery of the gospel. And in it, it was a recovery of the, the glory of our being justified by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. That's how we're justified. But Rome, Rome was a, a church, and, and still does to this day, Rome was a church that believed we are justified by faith. By faith. That, that statement would never be disputed by anybody in the Church of Rome. Of course, we're justified by faith. Eastern Orthodoxy would say the same thing. But, but the great difference comes along in understanding that we are justified by faith. Alone. Alone. That little word alone is a word that Luther understood, the reformers understood, meant that you are either trusting in Christ or you are trusting in you. the reformers understood that the Bible was making it very plain from the Old Testament to the New. From, from Abraham to our day, that salvation was by faith alone. That our salvation is completely and fully by Christ apart from works of ours. This is what we find Paul bringing again to the church in Galatians, in Galatia, in chapter 2 and verse 16 that we read, where Paul says to them, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, and as we read that, we would understand Paul to mean at all, not justified by works of the law at all, but through faith in Christ Jesus, and Paul's intent there is alone. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, at all. Justified in Christ alone. Since Paul says, by works of the law, no flesh will be justified at all. 
Jesus intended. When Luther and the Reformers placed that word alone at the end of their statement that we are justified by faith alone, it was a matter that determined whether or not you had the gospel at all. Whether or not you had Christ at all. Whether or not you had salvation at all. So Rome, though, believed in justification by faith, but not justification by faith alone. Rome says you are justified by faith, but what that means is you are justified by your faithful obedience. By your faithful obedience to the sacraments. Eastern Orthodoxy would say the same thing. You are justified, that is, as you are achieving your own righteousness by being obedient. But the gospel says you are justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law. And so those two truths are infinitely apart. Infinitely apart. They are as far apart as the east is from the west. That is, saying we are justified through our faithful obedience or justified through faith alone. Rome said and still says to this day you're justified a little bit at a time as you do the sacraments but never never completely in this life and so there's a purgatory for you to be hopefully hopefully finally justified in The reformers said that salvation is all of Christ because the scriptures said that. The other says that salvation is all of your doing as you seek to acquire a righteousness that will please God. One says you are justified by a righteousness not your own outside of you. The other says you are justified by faithfully obeying the law as best you can, producing your own righteousness. One says God justifies the ungodly. The other says, in the end, I justify myself by my obedience. But Paul... Paul drives home that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, since by works of the law no flesh will be justified. 
Now, as we understand this truth about righteousness in salvation, we need to understand that, that the righteousness that comes to us by faith, that is outside of us, it's not a substance sort of that we get. called. It's not a, a thing called righteousness that we gain. It doesn't sort of pass to us like a gas or a vapor. We're not injected with it somehow, like, like Steve Rogers was injected with that serum that turned him into Captain America. That's not how righteousness works. The, the reformers didn't believe we needed this thing called righteousness. We needed a righteous Christ to be ours by faith. And so in the gospel, we are righteous in Christ. In Christ. That's one of Paul's favorite terms to, to talk about our relationship with Christ. Our salvation. We are in Christ. His righteousness is, is imputed to us or credited to us as we gain him by faith. It is him. He is our righteousness. Just as someone who is adopted becomes an heir of the wealth of the father who adopts him the wealth of the Father is then credited to the Son. And so in the gospel, the wealth of Christ is credited to us as we are joined to him in faith. And so the reason that you are righteous, beloved, it's not because God's given you a substance called righteousness. He has given you Christ. He is your righteousness. He is all the righteousness that you need. And you have been united to him in faith. The glory of that is that the gospel says there is a verdict upon your life now, now. Rome, though, says that the verdict of, of your righteousness needs to wait. It must wait. It cannot be pronounced now. It, it must wait until you progress through this life. And then as you progress through purgatory. The gospel, though, says you know now as a believer it's one of the massive differences between the church of Rome and the true church of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, you can know the verdict now. And it is a final verdict. Unchangeable. Indisputable. Paul says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation. Now, 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the verdict right now for those who believe. No waiting. No hoping for something someday. It is now. As Paul writes to the church in Galatia, they had forgotten Christ. Rather, perhaps even better, as we said in verse 6, they had deserted him. They had deserted him. Because they had forgotten the gospel. They, they had adopted another gospel that said, that said you need faith, but you also need circumcision. You, you also need other works of the law with your faith if you're going to be justified. And Paul says to the church later in Galatians, you have been severed from Christ. You've lost him. You who are seeking to be justified by law, he says, you've fallen from grace. It still just amazes me that the church in Galatia could fall so far, so quickly. I mean, they had Paul, and they had Peter, and they had Barnabas. Peter and Barnabas, who, who slid right along with the church, even. In Galatia. Oh beloved the gospel. And, and with the gospel. Christ himself. Is often so easily forgotten. By us. The great need of the church. In every hour. And in every age. Is to hear the gospel of Christ. And in that. In that to hear Jesus himself speaking to his church. For you can be sure that where the gospel is rightly preached, Christ is there. Christ is there and he is speaking. And where the gospel is forgotten, where, where works would be added perhaps to it as they were in Galatia, Christ is the part of that church. There is no gospel. And there is no Christ. It's a truth that we see over and over again in our day, whether it's the Church of Rome, whether it is in any church where the gospel is not rightly preached. And it's not that they've just sort of gotten a, a small doctrinal issue wrong. They've not just forgotten to add that word alone. No, they've lost the gospel with it. And with it, they've lost Christ. They may speak of Christ. They may talk of him. They may have pictures of him. They may have statues of him. But, but in many places, he's like a, a friend from, an old friend from high school that you haven't seen in decades. And, and maybe you still talk about them, but... You really don't know them. 
They're not part of your life. You, you may not even know if they're alive or dead. So the church in Galatia, it, it didn't know that it had deserted Christ. It didn't seem to know that. Paul had to come to them and, and sort of stab them broad awake to what they had done. In many ways, the church of Rome didn't know it had deserted Christ, or at least it would have never admitted it. Why? We still speak of Jesus. We, we still celebrate his birth. We, we still talk of the stories of Christ often. We, we have our icons and we have our statues. They didn't believe that Jesus had left, or rather they had deserted Christ. Though it wasn't unintentional, it wasn't just accidental, it wasn't like parents forgetting to pick up their child somewhere, maybe thinking the other parent is going to do it. It wasn't just sort of a mix-up, miscommunication, right? No, there was an intentionality to it. But they had become so blind that they couldn't see it. And so Paul, like Luther in his day, had to come and, and to confront the church with what had happened, what was going on. What happened in Galatia? What, what, what happened really in large part in the church in the Middle Ages and in the, the time of the Reformation? Really ought to be a sober warning for all of us, beloved. And, and because, because of what we read in the scriptures, I'm not afraid to warn us around that issue. To warn all of us of forgetting the gospel and so forgetting Christ. Back in that time of uh, the Middle Ages, uh, coming up to the Reformation, the Bible had become almost an unknown book. in part because it was at odds with the entire system of the sacraments and the indulgences that had been sort of set up in place of Jesus. In that day, you could, you could literally buy yourself a leadership position in the church. You could buy yourself a, a position of bishop, cardinal. And through that, there was a massive decline in biblical understanding that resulted in such ignorance in the church that, that the Archbishop of Mainz, who had purchased his title, is said to have proclaimed when seeing a Bible, he said, of a truth, I do not know what book this is. But I perceive everything in it is against us.
when men become supreme in the church and the scriptures are unknown, there then become a series of extra biblical doctrines that come in and are added over the centuries and until it reached a point in the days of the Reformation where Christ, Christ had been replaced, really, as the head of his church. The gospel had been replaced with rituals and the works of men. And while they still talked of Christ as though he were present, you could say he had long ago left the building. But it was the study of the word of God by men like Luther and others that brought Christ back to his church through the proclamation of the gospel. Again, that truth of sola scriptura, the, the Bible alone as the final authority, not the popes, not the councils, but scripture. And it was the scriptures that brought about then a recovery of the gospel. And through that, Jesus rode back into his church. It was indeed Christ who stirred men like Luther and Calvin and Booser and Knox and Zwingli and others to the scriptures. And it was the Bible that became the authority to lead the church into what kind of leaders it was to have, or what kind of gospel it was to preach, what kind of worship it ought to have. How men were to work, marry, raise families, relate to the government. It wasn't to be, the church was not to be sort of this system of ecclesiastical kings and princes, popes and cardinals, bishops, who were then to dictate the truth to the people. Rather, it was to be Christ the king who, who would do this through his written word, preached, proclaimed. I want to just finish up here as we think about as we think about what happened in Galatia and what then again happened in church history, how the gospel was forgotten, and ask the question, how? Uh, why? How, why is the gospel so easily forgotten? Well, I think one. The gospel is so against our natures. So against our natures. For, for the gospel comes in and it demands an allegiance to a king who is Lord over all. It demands we raise Christ above all earthly powers, above all men, that he is Lord. There is no bishop, there is no pope, there is no king, there is no prime minister that is Lord but Christ. And 
And we just don't, in our sinfulness, we just don't like supreme authority over us. Not one that is, that is truly God. We, we may be like the ancient Israelites who, who would not have God as their king, but we would choose pitiful men to be our kings. And what a poor trade. What a poor trade. A poor trade to choose popes and bishops over the simple truth of Christ as king. And, and his under-shepherds of the flock there to lead in the pastors and the elders of the church. God hasn't set up leaders of his church to wear crowns. He hasn't set them up to dress as kings and princes. But, but simply, he has set forth simple men to shepherd the flock as under-shepherds and to preach the word. No, we just don't like authority over us in that way, ultimate authority. And so we will, in our sinfulness, choose, as it were, men in tall hats and feminine robes to lead us. The gospel also is easily forgotten because it will not allow us to contribute to our justification. We don't like that. The gospel says salvation must be all of grace, and so all of God. The only thing, Jonathan Edwards, the uh, pastor in uh, New England there in the early days of our country in the times of the, uh, the Great Awakening. Edward said the, the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. We have nothing else to bring. Right? But, but sin causes you and I to continually want to try to do something to contribute. Even, even it's just a little bit. Let me help. We do just a little something. No. Paul says, man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Well, the gospel also finally is easy to forget because it seems so unbelievable. It just seems so unbelievable. Too good to be true. How is it that, that God should love sinners? How is it that, that God should love me a sinner and, and love me before the foundation of the world, as Paul says in Ephesians, and set his electing grace upon me and, and as Paul says, chose us in him before the foundation of the world? How is it that in love he would predestine us to adoption as sons? We who are children of wrath. 
There is, there is nothing in this world, beloved, more unbelievable, no matter what, there is nothing more unbelievable than God loving his enemies by sending his son to be beaten and bloodied on a cruel cross so that sin might be forgiven. And, and, and even more perfect righteousness might be granted to those who believe. Who could have imagined that God would love us that way? You wouldn't, unless the Bible had declared it to you. Unless God had done it, you would not have imagined that. It ought to be, in many ways, shocking beyond belief that God would not only withhold his wrath, his just wrath from us, but that, but that he would satisfy that wrath upon his son in our place and we would be forgiven. It ought to be shocking beyond belief that God would pay our debt in the death of his son. I just saw someone commenting on how the scriptures speak of that, uh, that there's a narrow gate that leads to heaven. And, and uh, the question coming, well, why is it so narrow? That's often how we would approach it and ask, why is it so narrow? Really, the question we ought to ask is, why is it open at all? Why is it open at all for me to come in in Christ? Christ. God has given Christ in exchange for me. He would choose to kill his son rather than me. He chose to lay wrath that was due me on Jesus who bore my sins willingly that I might live. Who could imagine that? Oh, we are a people who are so prone to forget the gospel. And in it we are forgetting Jesus. But wherever the gospel is rightly preached, we can be sure Christ is there. We ought to pray again that Christ might return to many churches in our day where he has left or he has been deserted. For if the gospel is not rightly preached, Christ is not there. Here then is the gospel message. Just to close as we just to remind us of this again. The gospel. The gospel is the work of God alone. The work of God alone in Christ. 
reconciling the world to himself and the salvation of men. And in the final judgment of evil men and devils, and then finally in the restoration of all things, the gospel, the good news is focused in, it comes into sharp, a sharp point in the, res- in the death and the resurrection of Christ who has paid for sin's penalty, rose to a place of supreme authority to give life to both men and then ultimately to their world as he returns. The message of the gospel demands that all people look by faith alone to Christ to be reconciled to God. And it promises then that Christ will reconcile all things to himself for the glory of the Father and the good of those who have believed. The message of Christ is that he is both our full payment for sin and our full righteousness for heaven. He is. He gets our sin. We gain his righteousness. And so I am saved by being both forgiven, sins taken away, and saved by being given, that is, righteousness granted to me. The gospel is a message of the power of Christ alone to save dead sinners who cannot add an ounce of anything to their salvation. Baptism will not justify, beloved. The church will not justify. Doing the sacraments will not justify. Just being a nice person will not justify. Christ alone will justify. That is, he will declare your righteousness to you as you are united to him by faith, all through his death and his resurrection. The gospel calls you and and all men everywhere to believe in this Jesus alone. And sins will be washed away in a moment. All of them. And and you will be given the eternal life that is Christ. That cannot be taken away. Because you are now by faith alone united to Jesus forever. Let's close with prayer. Father, we thank you for Reminding us again of the message of the gospel, we thank you for men that you have raised up through the centuries to point us back to the gospel, back to Christ. We thank you that you've opened our blind eyes, Lord, to this glorious truth, that you have saved us by this gospel. Oh, Father, help us not to forget it. 
let it not slip, Lord, from our grasp. But even this day, Lord, help us to renew our commitment to it. May we lay hold of it even firmer, Lord, with greater hope and greater confidence and greater understanding as we wait now for the return of our Lord to come again, to renew all things for those who believe in that new heaven, in that new earth, in that home of righteousness there with Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please uh, stand as we sing in closing, Be Exalted, O God. It's number 19, number 19 in your hymnal.